And then I want to introduce you this morning to a new series that we're going to start. And then Pastor Seth's going to come and he's going to read a passage from God's Word for us that's going to be the key passage for this morning. But the new series that we're starting this morning is called Culture Creators. And been with us for some weeks. You know we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And it's our intention to come back to Mark. But with our bash being last week and we're, we're firing into a season of renewal and focus on investing intentionally our lives into the work that God has called us to do. And that is the work of making disciples of Jesus. And so this series called Culture Creator is going to help us do that because God has given Together Church a mission. And this is that mission. We will create relational environments where disciples of Jesus are made. And in order to fulfill that mission that God has given us, we've got to have small groups that are full of disciples who know how to be culture creators. I've had people in relationship with me throughout my life that just by being with them, my life was different. Not just through what they said, but also how they lived. And it kind of came out of who they were and whose they were. Culture is not primarily something that we do. Culture primarily comes out of who we are. And so we've got to have culture creators, disciple makers in our small groups that are leading the way for discipleship. A thermostat, or I'm sorry, a thermometer, I always mix the two, a thermometer, it, it reads the temperature in the room. It just reflects the environment, right? That's, that's what the job of a thermometer is. But thermostats don't just read the environment, they engage the system that changes the environment. The Culture Creator Series is about becoming disciples of Jesus who by your presence in the lives of other Christians, your presence in the lives of non-believers, that the environment is changed. Becoming Culture Creators is about becoming disciples of Jesus, that genuinely that's what defines us. That's what our lives look like. We must be disciples who know who we are and whose we are. And the Culture Creator Series is going to help us do that. And it's gonna be a character study. And here's what that means. That means that through this series, for however many weeks it goes, a few weeks here, we will consider various Bible characters and we'll identify a particular story in that Bible character's life. And we'll look at the lessons from that story that we can learn about being the kind of culture creators that God wants us to be in our groups and in our discipleship relationships. So I'm looking forward to this series because there are some big time culture creators in the scripture. And actually it's been a little while since we've been in Mark. We haven't been in the Old Testament in a while, but this morning we're gonna consider an Old Testament figure, uh, David. Our first culture creator is David. And the first lesson is the story of David and Goliath. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, with us, 1 Samuel 17. And Pastor Seth's gonna come and lead us through this passage. It's a longer story, but it's, it's worth the read and the refresher. This is one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. So I'm gonna ask you, open your Bible to 1 Samuel 17, and would you stand with us morning for the read of God's word? Good this is a long passage. Are you with me? Let's do it. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah, and encamped between 
Soko, and Azekah in Ephesodomim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew in line of battle against the Philippines, the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up battle? I'm not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul... The man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle, and the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistines came forward and took his stand. Morning and evening, and Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers Ephah of this hard strain, these ten loaves, and give them quickly to to your brothers. Also take, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now, Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champ, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel 
when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David's son said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with you, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a, steer, a spear and with a javelin, 
but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rode the shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. He put his armor in his tent. You can be seated. Well, that's the story from God's word. God's people said, amen. It's a great story and I'm excited to talk to you about it. David faced a giant named Goliath. Goliath was a warrior fighting for the army of the Philistines. Goliath was over nine feet tall, an intimidating warrior. He had earned the reputation of being the Philistines' greatest warrior, and he was tormenting the armies of Israel. The Philistines were a nation of people that occupied a large piece of the promised land God had promised to the descendants of Abraham. The Philistines were not descendants of Abraham, but they were living in that promised land. They lived in an area of Israel that is now known as the Gaza Strip. And I put up some maps there to help you kind of see the difference. The Gaza Strip today and the Philistine territory, it changed throughout the years in different stories, but around this time, it looked kind of like this. The Gaza Strip is still occupied by the enemies of Israel to this day. Isn't that interesting? The Gaza Strip still occupied by the enemies of Israel to this day. When God gave tribes of Israel the promised land, when he gave the tribes of Israel the promised land, the Philistines were one of the nations that God told the Israelites to drive out of that promised land. But instead, the, the Israelites disobeyed God and they never attempted to drive the Philistines out of the promised land. And that decision was catastrophic for Israel. It was a catastrophe for God's people. The Philistines harassed Israel for years. 
the Philistines entrapped Israel on multiple occasions, just like you heard in this story today. And the Philistines often made God's people feel defeated and hopeless. You know, the same thing that can happen in our lives as disciples of Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, God sets us free from the judgment of sin, but we can still allow the giants of sin to remain in our lives, just like the Israelites allowed the Philistines to remain in the promised land. Instead of driving them out, instead of driving sin out, we can let it stay in our lives. And when we do that, the results are catastrophic in our lives as disciples of Jesus. Our sin can end up harassing us for years. Our sin entraps us over and over and over again. Our sin causes us to experience feelings of shame and defeat and even hopelessness. And our sin gives credence to the world's perception that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites and our lives don't bring glory to God. The story of David and Goliath is an excellent illustration of how the giants of sin can entangle us in our lives. There was a giant that threatened Israel. The giant that threatens us is sin. What the giant said to Israel stood in direct opposition to the word of God. What sin says stands in direct opposition to God's word. Saul and his army had developed a culture of defeat. They were not culture creators to slay the giant. They had developed a culture where they were losing. Sadly, way too many Christians have embraced a culture of defeat when it comes to sin in our lives. But David was different. He was a culture creator and he slayed his giant. The temperature of Saul and his army was real cold. It was not, it was not hot. It was not on fire, believing in the promises of God. But David was a thermostat and his presence changed the culture and the words that he spoke stirred up the entire camp so that what he said reached the ears of Saul and it ended up changing the future and the destiny of the armies of Israel as we will see by the end of this message. He was a thermostat, a culture creator and a man of faith who defeated the giant in his life and gave God the glory for the victory. So what was it about David that enabled him to be this kind of a culture creator? Somebody who could step into an environment where everyone else was cowering down to their giant. And when he stepped in, he changed the culture of the entire camp. What enabled him to be that kind of warrior? Well, David wanted to win. That's where it started for him. And then David believed that he would win. Did you hear that language as we read that story? Did it ever sound like David was not 100% sure if God would give him the victory? David believed that he would win against that giant. And then David equipped himself with the right weapons to win. God wants the small groups of Together Church to be filled with culture creators who will lead us to slay the giants of sin in our lives. And, and as we start right here, I wanna just say this message is for all of us. Some of you, to become a culture creator, to slay the giants of sin, uh, help others slay the giants of sin in their life, culture's more about who you are than what you do. You're gonna first have to become 
a giant slayer in your own life before you can help lead others to be a giant slayer in their lives. And so we, this is for all of us, whether if you have sin going on in your life right now, this message is for you. You got to become a giant slayer. Maybe you're finding victory over sin in your life and, and the Lord is leading you to slay your giants. What you're about to hear is going to equip you and help you become better at creating a culture with other people and to help them overcome the sin in their life. So we've got to start by asking this question, and here's what we'll focus on. How do you become a giant killer? Well, you got to have a heart like David. you got to be a warrior like him. What defined David? Well, it's what needs to define us. You must want to win. You must want to win against the giants of sin in your life. And then you must believe that you will win. Some of you feel like that's impossible. I hope to change your mind this morning that you can believe that you will win and you must equip yourself with the right weapons to win. So let's look at these three things. You must want to win, to be a giant slayer. You will never be a giant killer if you do not want to win. I know that that may seem obvious, but some of us need to start right here. You see, David wanted to win. That's what he wanted. He wanted to win for his family. Do you remember David saying, now what will be given to the man who defeats this giant? What kind of riches is Saul promising? He's gonna give him loot. He's gonna give him his wife. He's gonna give him a free man standing in Israel. I want that for my family. Uh, I don't want my family to be living in a territory where the Philistines, the enemies of God are invading us and we're cowering down to them. I want, to, I want my family to be in a place that is thriving, that is winning and experiencing God's victory. David wanted to win for the sake of his family. David wanted to win for the sake of his country. He knew who he was. He knew just in the chapter before that he was God's anointed, that Samuel the prophet had come to anoint David. He did not have the position of king of Israel yet, but he was God's anointed to be the next king of Israel. So he believed that is who I am. And then David knew who he was because he was a son of Abraham. He was a child of promise. He understood his identity. He understood his relationship with God. And he understood that that Philistine was on the wrong side. And he knew that he could win. And so he, uh, he wanted to win for his country. He hated to see his fellow man cowering down in fear. And then he wanted to win for the glory of God. You can go back one on that slide. He wanted to win for the glory of God. And oh, maybe we're missing it. There it is. He wanted to win for the glory of God. And, and he wanted to, God's people to see and the whole world to know that there is a God in Israel. 1 Samuel 17, 46 through 47, David was staring down his giant and he said that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David was motivated to defeat this giant. He had all kinds of reasons that he wanted to slay this giant. He wanted to win. To be a giant killer like David, you must share the heart of David. You must want to win. You gotta wanna win for your family that the enemy would not have a foothold in your home, that you would not be a gateway to his activity into the lives of the people that you love, that you will slay the giants of sin because you don't want the enemy to have any standing with your family. 
You gotta wanna win for the sake of your church family, God's people. David wanted to win for the people of God, the nation of Israel. You've gotta wanna win for the sake of the people sitting right here in this room with you, that you will not become an entry point for the enemy to get a foothold in the culture of this church, but that you will stand and guard at the gates a warrior who slays the giant of sin in your life. And you need to wanna win for the glory of God, that the world would know that there is a God active and alive in his church and that people would be drawn to the church because of the kind of victory that they see in the lives of the people of Jesus. You gotta wanna win, just like David wanted to win. But here's the reality. Some of you are not slain the giant of sin in your life because you have not reached this point yet where you truly want to win over the sin in your life. Now, I know you would never say it that way. If we were sitting in a circle, you would not sit there and confess, yeah, no, I just kind of like my pet sin and I just wanna keep, keep living it and doing, doing this sin in my life. But if you were completely honest and you examined the secret intentions of your heart, you would have to admit that the secret longings of your heart is to continue in a particular sin. Somehow you've gotten some kind of feeling that it adds value to your life or that it helps you cope with your emotions or that you need this in your life. You don't, you don't wanna lay that down. You don't wanna give that up. What would your life be like without that particular sin? Here's the reality. If you still want your sin, you will never slay your giant. You've gotta decide that it is worthless. And that can be hard because the emotions of our flesh can be deceiving. We can feel like the sin in our life is adding value when it's adding no value at all. I wanna just engage you a little bit in this with a little illustration here. I need three volunteers to come and help me. One, two, and three. Okay, three boys on the front row. Let's give these three young men a hand as they come up. All right. I didn't think I'd end up with this crew, so I'm a little worried about this, but you guys behave yourselves. All right, actually, hang on, I need these back because here's what I wanna do. I want you to do this. I want you to look at these presents carefully and here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna open one in just a second, but I want you to open the one that looks best to you. It's first come, first serve. Just take the gift that you feel like is the one you want. First come, first serve. Okay. All right, let me ask you a question here, Cable. You, you chose first, so why did you just select that gift? Because... Um... Uh, vagueness doesn't matter. Good anyway. things come in small packages? Yeah, okay, I, I get that. Sometimes they do. Jackson, what made you just select that one? I like the color blue. Okay, blue is a favorite color. Brighton? It was the last one. It was the last <laughs> one left, okay. <laughs> all right, well, at least you all got a gift. So now what I want you to do is open them, but hang on. You may want to put this on first. I should have got you gloves too. Oh, well, you guys can wash your hands. All right, go ahead and uh, be careful when you open it. I don't want you to spill it out onto the floor. Open your present. Be quick. Rip it open, Brightson. Just rip it.
Jackson, when you got in there? Show us some of the stuff. What is it? It's trash. All right, what do you got, Brighton Cable? More trash? What do you got, Brighton? More trash? Just trash inside those presents? If this was your birthday party, how would you feel right now? Huh? You feel rich? I'm coming to your birthday. I can afford gifts. Oh, what? (laughs) Ripped off, huh? Okay, let's give these guys a hand. Thank you guys for helping me make an illustration. And since I don't want you to leave totally disappointed, here's some candy for you to enjoy while you're at your seats. Take your trash with you. I don't want that. It's garbage. All right. I hope that that illustration just helps this stand out in your mind. This is, this is where I want to bring it home. The shiny wrappers of sin have nothing but death and destruction inside their packages. Our enemy just wants to dupe you into believing that there is something about sin that is worth it. That there is something about sin that it would be okay to keep a little bit of it in your life. But there are examples all, all through scripture that the shiny wrappers of sin destroy people's lives. The fruit in the garden delighted the eye of Eve and her husband, Adam. But the wages of sin brought death. Achan, in the time of Joshua, hid plunder from God, uh, or from the army of Israel in his tent that God had forbidden for him to take. And it cost him and his family their lives. Judas hatched a plan to sell out Jesus for some cash. There are examples all throughout the scriptures of how the shiny wrappers of sin have nothing but death and destruction packaged inside. And if you've got something in your life, some kind of sin that you're holding on to, maybe it's the way you use your tongue. Maybe it's the way that you talk about things and you don't always tell the truth. Maybe there's some tendency in you to take something that is not yours or to cheat someone else out of something in their way. Maybe there's an addiction in your life. Maybe it's to a substance. Maybe it's a sexual addiction. There are all kinds of giants that we face. What is yours? If you don't want that giant gone, it's not gonna leave. If your heart still secretly longs for sin, you've got to realize that you've been duped into believing a lie that somehow that sin adds value to your life. There's nothing but trash inside the shiny wrappers of sin. And before you can slay your giant, you must first hate your giant. You must hate sin in your life. You must want it dead. You must see how sin is tormenting you, how it's tormenting the people that are closest to you and love you, and you must decide that you want to be delivered from sin. So deliverance, becoming a giant killer, starts right there. You must first want to win and rid yourself of sin in your life. So here's the second one. To become a giant killer, you must believe that you will win. It's not enough just to want to win. You've got to have a kind of faith and confidence that leads to believing that you will win. Some of us get hung up right here. I mean, you gotta ask yourself the question, do I believe that I actually can beat this giant of sin in my life? When David entered that camp, he came upon a culture of defeat. Everyone around him was losing to this giant. 
But the turning point in the story was this. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. For 40 days and 40 nights, he had been spewing out lies and poison that was holding God's people in captivity and bondage at those battlefields. But this time it was different because the scripture says, and David heard him. That was the changing point of this story. David was different. What everyone else saw as impossible, David saw as an opportunity. David believed that he would prevail against this giant. He was sitting there asking the question why no one else has gone out to battle yet to claim the loot that Saul was offering for the defeat of this giant. He was just perplexed by it because he believed the truth and had confidence not in himself. His confidence was in the promises and in the power of God. Remember what David said when he refused God's armor, he talked about the promises and the power of God. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep for his father, sheep for his father. And when he came, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. That sounds like self-confidence at first, but we keep listening, we hear where his confidence came from. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Here it is. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David knew the promises for the armies of the living God when they put their confidence and their faith and their trust in him. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David believed that he would win because he believed in the promises and he believed in the power of God. David knew God's promises. He knew he was God's anointed. He knew that he was a child of Abraham, a son of promise. He knew that God was on his side. He knew the promises of God for his life. And David knew the power of God. He had already experienced it when he had defeated the bear and the lion. He was confident that God's power would prevail over this giant. In fact, David would laugh at the thought that the giant could possibly be more powerful than his God. David was a champion before he ever stepped out on that battlefield. He was a giant slayer before he ever stared Goliath down. Why? Because David was confident in the power and the promises of God. And just like David, if you are in Christ, God's promise and God's power rests upon you and you've got to believe it. They're wrapped up in the truth of the gospel. Oh, we know the gospel. We talk about the gospel a lot. We know this part for sure, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were separated from God because of our sin, and that giant was too big for us to slay. There was no way that through our own efforts and our own righteousness that we could be made right with God again. And so we understand the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the God man, the very image of the invisible God, and that God sent him from the glories of heaven to enter into our world and to take on human flesh like ours. And even though he was like us in every way and tempted like us in every way, he never sinned. 
And even though he never sinned, he died a sinner's death on the cross so that he could be the substitute, provide the sacrifice, the offering for your sins and for my sins so that all of our sins, past, present, and future, could be forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for us on the cross. Is that true? Say amen, amen if it is. Amen. And, but sometimes we stop there. Sometimes we go, and now all of our sins are forgiven, and whew, we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace, and you know we can't really drive the giants of sin out of our lives. Sin's always gonna be with us. It's, it's in the flesh. It's just part of my life, and I can't beat those giants, but thank God that he forgives them all. Thank God that he, his forgiveness is everlasting for me. And, we, and goodness, one of the greatest heresies that has infiltrated the church of, in America the church of Jesus Christ. What a bunch of baloney that we would start to think even for a moment that we are not giant slayers because the gospel truths go beyond the death of Jesus. He's not still in the grave. Jesus Christ has risen by the power of God, proving that he has power over sin and death. And he ascended on high to the throne where he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords and all authority and all power is under him and given to him and to him alone. And he is sent from that place on high, his Holy Spirit to come and to indwell the life of every single believer, every single disciple of Jesus, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and their sins are forgiven, also receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And he comes in and he puts to death your old sin nature so that it is gone. And then he resurrects you by his power, just like he raised Jesus from the dead. He resurrects your spirit to walk in newness of life, to a new nature, so that you are not who you were. You are a new creation in Christ. And his righteous nature is your righteous nature. And his love is your love. And his joy is your joy. And his peace is your peace. And his victory is your victory. The life of Jesus abiding and living inside of you. And yes, you still got this flesh thing. And yes, according to the gospel, sin is still flowing in the flesh. Oh, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he has broken the power of sin in your flesh so that you now have the victory in Christ. And the promise of the gospel is you are his child. You are his anointed. You are sons and daughters of the most high God. And the, and the power of the gospel is his life and his presence is living and abiding in you so that when you live by faith, the life of Jesus literally gets lived through you. That's the promise of the gospel, and that's a gospel worth celebrating in our lives. So we gotta believe the gospel, amen? Amen. We gotta believe this, because to be a giant killer, you must believe that you will win. If your confidence is in you and in your flesh, I don't expect you to believe that you will win. I lost for years trying to win. You'll win when your confidence is in the promises and the power of God, not because of your own ability, but because of him and who he is. And then the third and the last one is to become a giant killer. You must equip yourself to win with the right weapons. When David went to battle, he did not arm himself with the weapons of this world. Remember, he rejected Saul's armor. Goliath came at David with the weapons of this world. He came with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, 
but David came at Goliath in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I would argue that the stone and the sling, although they were the weapons in his hand, was not the great weapon that David used to slay that giant. The great weapon that David used to slay that giant was his faith in God and his confidence in the promises of God, that God would deliver him. And because of that, David was equipped to win. You will never win if you're using the wrong weapons to defeat sin in your life. David's weapons were a stone and a sling. And let me just use those as an analogy. They were not the weapons of this world. They were the weapons of a young man whose confidence was in God for the victory. Your weapon is a stone and a sling. Your stone is the stone the builders rejected, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. That is where your faith belongs, is in him. And your sling is your confession of faith in Jesus when you are standing face to face with your giant. You gotta wanna win. You gotta believe you can win, but you can't stop there. You've gotta proclaim that victory through your mouth. Just like David loaded up that sling, wound it up and sent that rock right into the face of his giant. You've gotta load up that sling with the, with the truth of the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You gotta whirl that thing around and when your giant comes at you, you gotta send it out of your mouth. You gotta proclaim the promises of the gospel when our enemy and when that giant of sin comes to attack you. When your giant of sin threatens you, you cannot be like the army of Israel and cower down and just listen to its threats. If that's how you live, you will never defeat the giant in your life. Sin's gonna lie to you. Just like Goliath spewed poisonous words, it's gonna spew poisonous words at you. It's gonna say things like, oh, you really want this. It's gonna appeal to your flesh. You can't resist this. You know you can't win this fight. You're eventually gonna give in. Why not give in right now? When the giant of sin spews poison into your mind, you must take up your stone, grab your sling, and go and kill your giant. It is not enough just to know the promises and power of God. You must sling them out of your mouth at your giant. Sometimes we call this preaching the truths of the gospel to your own soul just reminding yourself of the promises and power of God. And if you will load it up, your faith in Jesus, and if you will sling those promises out of your mouth, killing your giant is going to sound something like this. Because of Jesus Christ, get thee behind me, Satan. I do not belong to you, I belong to Jesus. I died with Jesus to sin and I've been raised with him to walk in newness of life. He lives in me and because he lives in me, I am a child of God, a new creation in Christ and the righteousness of God. I will no longer be defined by the world, by the desires of my flesh or by the lies of, of my enemy. I am what Jesus says I am and I am who Jesus says I am. Giant, you have lost your power. You have no dominion or authority here. This battle is already won in the name of Jesus. And that's what it'll sound like when you load up that sling and shoot those gospel truths out of your mouth. Your weapon, to help you remember, is a stone and a sling. Like David, you put your weapon to work by facing down your giant and boldly proclaiming the promises and the power of God. Was the victory David's or was the victory the Lord's? When your weapons of warfare are not of this world, God gets the credit 
and God gets the glory for the victory in your life. And his faithfulness to his promises and his power to overcome is made known to you, but it is also made known to all people who witness the new life that you found in Christ. Second Corinthians 10, four says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not of this world, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. To be a giant killer, you must equip yourself with the right weapons. So under Saul, Israel had developed a culture of defeat. They've forgotten who they were and they've forgotten whose they were. They have forgotten the promises of God and they had stopped believing that they could win. They were cowering down in defeat. The result, they were experiencing the fruit of that defeat. They were being defeated by their giant. They were held captive by their enemy. They were not experiencing the victory that God had already promised to give them. But David was a culture creator. He didn't view this giant like King Saul and the rest of the army. David wanted to win. He believed that he would win and he equipped himself with the right weapons to win. And by the power of God, David slayed the giant. And this was the first of many victories David experienced over his enemies. In fact, David went on to create a culture of giant killers in Israel. You can read about the exploits of the mighty men who followed David. They did incredible feats for God on the battlefield. Under David's leadership, the borders of Israel were expanded further than at any other point in Israel's history. God uses culture creators who depend on him to slay their giants, to broaden their territories, and to do mighty exploits for his glory. That's what happened in the life of David, and that's what God wants to happen in the life of our church. David was the first giant killer in Israel in this era, but many more followed because he started something. He created a culture of giant killers, the 300 mighty men and all these uh, victories and battles that Israel fought and won when he was their king. God wants us to be culture creators who create a culture of slaying the giants of sin in our church. God has given together church a vision and that vision is to raise up disciples who will radically impact this world for Jesus Christ, who broaden the territories of the kingdom of God and who lead us to advance his mission all throughout the world. But that vision can only be fulfilled if each one of us works together to create this kind of culture in the small groups at Together Church. We must be culture creators who slay the giants of sin in our lives and who lead other people to do the same. So here's my question to you as we close this morning. Will you become the giant killer that Jesus has already created you to be? You're already a giant killer if Christ is in you and you are in him. Now, if Christ is not in you, in other words, if you have never come to God and sought him for the forgiveness of your sins and a new life in Jesus, you are not a giant killer. The giants of sin are gonna slay you. They are going to kill you and they are going to destroy your life. So if you don't know Jesus, if he hasn't come and sent his Holy Spirit to live and dwell in you, to make you a new person and give you a new life, there is nothing more important that you could do today 
than to respond to him by coming forward and saying, I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me from my sin. And you know what? Just like Jesus delivered David from the giant, he will deliver you from your sin and he will give you a new life in him. So if that's you this morning, we don't want you to leave this place without nailing down. In fact, I'm gonna ask if um, Brother Jack and Mala, if you guys wouldn't mind maybe just stepping right over to this corner over here. Brother Jack's a pastor in our church um, and he and his wife will just come right this way. And in a moment, we're gonna have an invitation. And when we do, if there's anyone in this room who knows I need Jesus to forgive my sins. I need his Holy Spirit to come and live in me. I need to become a new creation in Christ and become a giant slayer. If that's you and you've never decided to follow Jesus before, then they are gonna be right here to pray with you and to lead you to be able to make that most important decision that you could possibly make in your life. But I know I'm talking to many people who have already made that decision that you've already decided to follow Jesus and he has forgiven your sins. If that is the case for you, I've got to ask, are you ready to drive this giant out of the promised land? Are you ready to rid yourself of the enemy of sin? Do you want to win? Come on, you got to want to win. Do you believe that you will win because of who Christ is in you? And are you willing to pick up the right weapons to learn the gospel truths so that you can sling those promises out of your mouth right into the face of your enemy? Culture is less about what you do and more about who you are. If you are not slaying the giants of sin in your own life, you can't become a culture creator in Jesus' church where we win together. So how about we start right here? What is the giant in your life? Could you take a moment and really identify it? Like, I want you to name the giant. This one's name is Goliath. What's the name of the giant in your life? Is it pornography? Is it gossip? Is it slander? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it theft? Is it lying? Is it living in personal feet, leaving? Is it thoughts that run through your head? The self-talk that's constantly not from the Lord and you're defeated in that self-talk? What is the giant in your life? You know it, it's tormenting you in the present. It's eating you up. Name that. You can't face it down if you don't identify. David said, there he is right there. Who's that guy? I'm coming after him. Name the giant in your life and have that confidence. There's the giant. I'm coming after you. David did not come after his giant in his own strength or his own power. He came after that giant with the strength and the power of God. Will you arm yourself with the right weapons? The strength and the power of God, his promises and who he has made you in Christ. We've got to have giant killers. Sidebacking, the brakes get on so fast. We are being defeated by the fire sin. We've got to have a minute head together. We can't tolerate any among us. We've got to drive it out. Oh man, I wish Israel had driven out the Philistines. Let's be a church that drives out the enemy of sin in our lives. Will you start today? I want to ask you to stand with me right now. And this is how I'm going to do the invitation this morning. The altar is open 
for anyone who would like to come and kneel and pray. And we have a response team. They'll come and pray with you. If you come to the altar, you know, there's something about physically coming. You could do this from where you're seated. You could face down your giant, but there's something about physically coming that drives the stake so that later on this week, when that giant creeps back into your life, you're able to say, I knelt at that altar this Sunday and I handled that. And I'm standing on that same promise and in that same power. So I wanna open this up to you just to come and do business with God. But I wanna ask all of you to respond in this way. Maybe a giant's been defeating you in your life. Could this be the first time that you load up that stone into that sling? And what I'm about to lead you to do, speak out the gospel truths from your mouth? Or maybe you are a giant killer. Man, we need those in our church. Would you speak this prayer after me? And would you use it as an opportunity to stir up your faith once again in who you are and whose you are so that you'll leave this place walking in victory? Let's put up that prayer one more time. And I want you to pray these words after me. And I want you to pray them, meaning them from your heart. Pray them like a war cry. Pray them like you believe that you have the victory. Pray this with me. Say, because of Jesus Christ, get thee behind me, Satan. I do not belong to you. I belong to Jesus. I died with Jesus to sin and I have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. He lives in me and because he lives in me, I am a child of God, a new creation in Christ and the righteousness of God. I will no longer be defined by the world by the desires of my flesh or by the lies of my enemy. I am what Jesus says I am. And I am who he says that I am. Giant, you have lost your power. You have no dominion or authority here. This battle is already won. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Do you believe it? If you do, say amen. Amen. He is the God of victory, and he wants us to walk in victory. So I want us to close this way. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up here, and we're going to close. Is that right? Our praise team, come back up here, and we're going to close with a song of victory. And the altar is open as we sing this song. If there's a giant in your life, come on. Don't leave this place without doing business with God. Ask him to change your heart and give you a heart to want to win, to believe you can win and to win with the right weapons. So let's sing this song together as Pastor Seth leads us and you respond here and the Lord leads you this morning.